Welcome to the Pooch Parenting Podcast, a podcast for parents with dogs. I'm Michelle Stern, a certified professional dog trainer, mom, and former teacher. Living with kids and dogs at the same time can feel like a circus. I know because I lived it too. Join us as we interview a variety of experts and parents to discuss topics that will make parenting with dogs easier, safer, and less chaotic. Also, you can love living with your dog again. I'll always keep it real, which might even mean that you hear the messiness of life in the background on occasion, but at least you know you're not alone. In today's episode, I talk with my friend Nick Benger, a dog trainer from the UK. We talk about engagement, so how to get our dogs to pay attention to us, and we also talk about polite greetings so that our dogs don't really embarrass us when visitors come over, and more importantly, they don't make children who are coming to your home feel unsafe, especially at the door. I really hope you enjoy the episode. We had a lot of fun recording it. Hey, Nick, I'm so glad you're here with us today to talk about families and helping our dogs behave better. Yeah, good to good to talk to you too. It's it's good to be invited on your podcast. I appreciate it. Well, I was just telling my husband how much fun we were going to have because when I was a guest on your podcast, um, we had a blast, and I knew it was not going to be the last time that we talked. Yeah, it's I, that's you know that's what I love about podcasting. You get to meet so many people, and obviously, you know, sometimes you just really click, and you just get you just get to make so many new friends, don't you? And obviously, we were introduced by we've got a lot of mutual friends, you know, that's kind of how we, you know, started speaking. So, you know, it's just good to network like that. It is. And it's fun. I, I think especially during COVID, you know, talking to you and I feel like I have so many friends in the UK now. It's so interesting. (laughs) I think it's great. I think during COVID people were happy just to talk to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sell yourself short. (laughs) Okay, fine. Okay. Um, Why don't you introduce yourself for our listeners, and then we'll dive into how we can help parents with kids and dogs. Sure. Uh, So my name is Nick Benger. I'm a professional dog trainer. I uh, did a TV show on Amazon Prime Video called The Pack, and I also have a podcast called Dog Talk with Nick Benger. And um, I mostly, I would say I mostly specialize in working with dogs uh, that are aggressive, but I also do a lot of stuff around what I call engagement, which is paying attention uh, to to your owner. So yeah, that's that's kind of my background. Yeah. So I have you here today not to focus on aggression because while some family dogs definitely have some issues, as they should if they're being hassled by kids, um, but because you're so good at engagement. And I think that engagement can be so helpful for families when their house feels like a circus. And I just got a message from somebody this morning saying, my dog never listens. Um, I don't feel like my dog knows anything. The second the kids start moving around, they, they seem to forget everything they know. And I think that engagement can come into play in terms of redirecting the dog's attention to doing something more positive. What do you think about that? Oh, definitely. You know, that reminds me of the classic scenario that we always have with dogs that go to classes uh, because we run a lot of classes. And a lot of people will say, well, my dog behaves so well when he comes to class. But when I go home, he just, you know, it's like he doesn't know anything that we've taught him. And oftentimes that's because, uh, to be brutally honest, people do all of their training at classes 
<laughs> and then don't practice at all at home so the dog doesn't really have any um any any repetitions because dogs actually learn in a very specific way or they tend to be bad at what we call generalizing which is uh generalizing what they've learned in one setting to another right so the dog understands that hey when we're in this training hall you know this is all of the stuff that that we've done previously but sometimes it can take almost a bit of reminding when you're in different situations uh of of the training and obviously it comes a lot quicker but you do need to kind of recap but what you were saying about distractions can be down to a whole multitude of things. I noticed on your t-shirt, it says reward your dog. Yes, right? I love this shirt. This is a filter <laughs> so shirt. So another reason that oftentimes dogs don't listen is because there's no reward. There's no, there's nothing in it for them, right? And obviously people always ask me, well, do I have to reward my dog every single time? No, of course you don't, right? But you have to, you ha your dog has to think that it's worth it for them right they they have to think that there's a chance that they're going to be rewarded in some way i'm i'm going to rant michelle if you let no, me no good but... <laughs> i love it go for it rant the away reward, this is helpful the, the reward doesn't have to be just food as well right like so many people think of a reward as just being food but for example you know if you have a dog that loves going into your garden or your yard you know, in america right <laughs> <laughs> then uh you know, you can use that as a reward, for example, right? If, you're, if your dog sees the kids playing in the back garden and they're getting all excited, right? Well, then maybe you ask them to sit or pay attention to you before you open the door and let them out, right? These are things, sometimes people call that like life rewards, right? Like if you want to go do that thing, I just need you to do this first. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's the whole pre-Mac principle, isn't it? It's and not that people need to know this, but the, the concept <laughs> of taking the thing the dog wants more than anything else and using that as the reward. So um, Pippin, my little guy, is a terrier, and he's very, very interested in chasing lizards these days or chasing squirrels, whichever one happens to be more available at the time. And so sometimes I'll ask him to sit or do a trick. And then I will release, I have him on a long leash because really? terriers can get into traffic if they chase something. So I always have him on a long line, but then I can release the long line and let him go stand at the bottom of the tree and spend some time. Right. Yeah. So yeah. The thing you yeah, want becomes the reward. Oh yeah. That's a real, you know, dog trainers do love to take advantage of that. You know, I, I remember speaking to one dog trainer though, that said that they did that with the dog, you know, they, waited for the dog to, I can't remember what it was, pay attention to them, sit, stay, whatever it was, right? Then they released the dog and it chased a bird and caught the bird. <laughs> oh, that is the ultimate reward. <laughs> but most of the time that won't happen. Yeah, so you're right. You're right. You know, um, I, I do that kind of thing a lot as well. We have, we don't have a huge amount of lizards, unfortunately. I'm super jealous of that, but we do have a lot of squirrels. And uh, so, yeah, you know, those those situations can be fine. You know, um, I even do that when I'm walking dogs. Uh, oftentimes you have a dog that really wants to go and see other dogs. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, doing things like teaching your dog that when they want to go and see another dog or when they see another dog, pay attention to you first. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes in that situation, the reward can be, OK, go say hello. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, you get to go and play now. And sometimes the reward will be, 
uh, actually come here, I'm going to reward you and I'm going to put you back on your leash and we're going to walk past or, or whatever, right? It's right. situation dependent, but it puts the control back in your hands, which is incredibly important because dogs don't understand that dog's wearing a muzzle or that dog has a big sign on it that says keep away. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, that's really good. Okay. So let's get back into the crazy family context, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. I want some different scenarios so that I feel like we can help a bunch of people. All right. Um, let's start with one. COVID is, I don't want to say it's winding down because I don't know if it is, but more people are getting vaccinated, which means that more people are interacting with other human beings more often. And you may be less reluctant to invite another child or their parent over for a play date. And not all children that you invite over live with dogs. They may be not familiar. They may be fearful. And let's say that you've got a rambunctious, happy dog who hasn't seen people and is so excited to rush to the door and greet these poor people. In the meantime, we're giving that poor child a nervous breakdown and they're questioning whether or not this is a good, safe mm. environment for them to hang out. So you and I talked a little bit before the show about one thing that I want to make sure that we talk about. I don't want us to forget is that training the dog in that moment is not going to be very effective because the dog will be so excited, but practicing prior to guests actually showing up is the key. And we'll talk about that. Um, but what are some training strategies that are doable, that are manageable for busy families that they can work on in advance so mm -hmm. that they're not dreading somebody coming to the door to come in and hang out with their family? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm so glad you said that as well about training before it actually happens, right? And this is actually a really, really common issue for people, just the whole greetings as people come through the door situation you know literally like an hour before i got on this podcast i was dealing with this so that's how common it is right so i don't think there's one answer though i do think that it's very dependent on your lifestyle right but what i generally like to do when people ask me that question is say well what do you want your dog to do let's work backwards yes. right so, usually for most people they are happy if their dog runs so usually what we would do is we teach the dog that the door knock or the doorbell means to run and go somewhere, right? So for a lot of dogs that would be going to their beds, some people were happy for the dog just to run into a room where they can shut the door and, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and that works fine. It really just depends on what your, the layout of your house is, what works for you, right? So for okay. example, the dog I saw previously, they wanted their dog to run to his bed and stay there while they answered the door. But mm -hmm. I have worked with people that just want their dog to run into a room and they maybe reward the dog with a chew or something like that. They can shut the door, not have to worry about the dog anymore, and they can go and, you know, greet the people. Right. Okay. So those are like, you know, that's a classic strategy, but you do have to think about well, what works well for me and then let's work backwards, right? So that, what I was talking about there, if that strategy does resonate with you, you know, that idea of turning the doorbell or the doorknob into the queue to go somewhere, like that's really pivotal. Like that's a, a big kind of eureka moment, I think, because that actually means that this happens like without you having to do anything, mm -hmm. at least when you get to the point where it's trained, right? Which is yes. it's really important because you don't, then the dog's doing the work for you, right? You don't have to say, go into this room, go to bed or anything like that. So let's start with the easy one, 
Let's okay. start with the, the just getting your dog to run into a room. Well, that's really easy because then all we need to do is have someone ring the door, the doorbell or knock on the door and then throw either throw some treats or a chew or some kind of reward into the room that you don't want your dog to go into. They're going to run into that room. You can close the door. We just need to repeat that until the dog goes, oh, hang on a minute. Every time the doorbell goes, this guy's going to throw a chew into this room. So instead of running to the door, I'm just going to run into this room. Okay, right, well, let me let me ask you a quick question because okay. I know that in my <laughs> the back of my mind and in our listeners' mind, they're saying, "Wait, hold the phone a second because whenever somebody knocks on the door or rings the doorbell, my dog starts barking like crazy and going insane." So, am I rewarding the barking if I'm throwing all the treats? And do I just ignore the barking and just work on the behavior? Because even I, I've been joking with some people lately that we think it's unethical that commercials or sitcoms on television ever ring the doorbell because it makes, it makes our dogs start barking when it's even just on the television. Right. right. So, well, we should come back to that. Cause that's let's do that. Okay. okay. Oh yeah. But to answer your question, um, yeah, people sometimes get way too caught up in, well, am I going to be rewarding the barking, right? Um, people worry about that too much. What we're trying to do is replace the behavior entirely, right? Eventually, your dog won't bark because instead of barking, they're going to be running into that room and looking for the treats, gotcha. right? And, and eventually, you could even reward afterwards instead of putting food in there, but let's not go there just yet, right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, a good question. Don't worry about the barking too much. Okay. Honestly, it, if you keep going with the strategy, it will resolve itself more than likely. That is so comforting. I have to say it's like, yeah. Whew. yeah. So, uh, so in terms of getting that connection, it really is as simple as that. And it's just repeat, but what you said about the, the commercials was a really good point because that's actually something that we can use to make this more practical for people, right? Because the idea of, hey, you have to run out the front door, press the doorbell, run back in, try and get the dog in, like, that's not very practical. So what I tend to do in order to be able to get repetition is record the sound of the doorbell on my phone and then play it and use that to then train the dog, right? Brilliant. Okay. Makes it, makes it a lot easier to get the repetition when you're trying to practice. Yes. So that was strategy number one, right? Okay. And if yeah. you just repeat that, you'll get to the point where your dog hears the doorbell and runs in the room. Okay. Right. And if, if that works for you, fantastic. Strategy number two takes more work, right? Because you're actually going to have to train your dog uh, a good stay behavior. So that's going to take more work on your part. So just know what you're getting yourself in for here, right? Okay. So we we start with strategy one, but um, instead of throwing the treats into a room, which we're throwing the treats onto the dog's bed, right? Okay. Then we're using our word stay. And then eventually we're going to be able to answer the door, talk to the people, invite them in, and the dog's not going to get off their bed until you told them to, right? So there's a lot of training that's going to go into this. Now, teaching your dog to stay in, in their bed is really just a lot of practice, right? Initially standing in front of your dog, telling them to stay, rewarding almost straight away right um and then building up that period of time and then slowly starting to move towards the door and i i like to when we're training this you really want to replicate the whole situation right so even have have the doorbell ring open the door spend 20 seconds at the door close it we need to have built up to know that our dog's going to be able to actually handle the full situation so you want to make it 
when you're training through that, you want to make it as um, lifelike as possible. But it's going to take some time because you've got a lot of stay training to do there. I yeah. feel like stay training is the sort of thing that um, is really straightforward. It's just a case of a lot of consistency, you know, building up the stay very slowly. If your dog moves off the bed, just asking them to go back on the bed, taking a mental note that you need to make it a little bit easier next time and just building up, building up, building up. It's just a lot of consistency and a lot of practice. Right. Because I know that for many dogs, even just the action of you taking a step away from the bed to the dog may be a misunderstood cue that they're allowed to leave and then they'll come and follow you. So the idea of getting them to the bed seems pretty straightforward, but then backing away to approach the door may seem like an invitation for the dog to be done. So I can see what you're saying where we need to really go slowly, that it's maybe take a step away and then return to your dog and reward, then two steps away, then return to your dog and reward. Absolutely. Is that is that how yeah, you break yeah, Absolutely, Michelle. Absolutely, Michelle. And also you want to have a clear release cue. You don't want your dog to be guessing whether they're allowed to go or not, right? So you want to use a, a specific word that means, okay, you can move now. What's your right. release cue? Uh, I have two. So I'll either say, okay, which means, okay, you can go. Uh-huh. Um, or I use the word yes, which is a little bit more dog trainee, trainer geekery, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes means what you've just done is won a reward, your reward, but you can also stop doing that behavior. That's right? interesting because yes is my marker word, but yeah. for my release, I use the word release, which is so boring, but I also know what it means in my brain, which seems to be a sieve these days. So I say release and I say it in this high voice. Okay. No. So the idea is though, I like that you talked about a release cue because I do think that that's important that you let the dog know when they're done with the thing. Because I know that with my young dog, Pippin, we've got a mat and I always keep it folded and put away. And he's really funny now because I'll do a lot of demos because I see clients over video. Mm -hmm. And if I pull the mat out, even if he's in a dead sleep somehow, he knows I pull the mat out and he perks up and he's ready to go be on the mat because the mat pays him for being there. And then when I need to put the mat away or when I'm done with the exercise, I'll use my release cue, which is release. He knows that he can get up from that mat and then I pick up the mat and put it away. Would you say that the doorbell behavior should be a bed that's out all the time or would you use a special mat or bed when you know people are coming over? Um, I actually don't think it matters too much because okay. the cue is the doorbell, oh, right? Yeah. The okay. signal for your dog is the doorbell. So um, I, I don't think it matters too much, but you did touch on something interesting there about um, your dog realizing that it's time for him to do this training, mm-hmm. right? And and that's where what we were talking about earlier, which can be problematic, is dogs realizing, okay, it's training time now, so I've got to behave oh, we're not training now, so I can just be a hooligan, right? (laughs) Yes. So the trick is, uh, you know, doing enough training in lifelike situations that your dog is able to perform in those situations, right? And there isn't a clear signal that, okay, we're training now. Um, You know, so you were talking earlier about, we want to do a lot of training to prepare for the situation, which is totally right, right? But we ideally we also want to do some training in the situation mm-hmm. right like once you've done the preparation you you can't just do all the preparation and then when someone does come to the house just let it all you know uh 
you know, go as it does, right? And not ask your dog to do anything, not, you know, not not reinforce because your dog's soon gonna learn, okay, it doesn't matter, right? So you still, at least in the early stages, you still have to be quite hands-on with your um, your training. And then eventually, like anything, it gets to the point where it's so habitual that you don't even think about it, right? Like I ask my dog to sit, my dog sits, I don't reward, like, I mean, I, I can't, like, I, I struggle to remember last time I just reward a sit, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so habitual, right? It's just something that we just, it's so established that we don't even think about it anymore. And you can get to that with, um, the, doorbell. with the doorbell. Right. You yeah. know, like toilet training. Like, mm-hmm. once you have an adult dog, you don't reward toilet training anymore. Right. right. So I want us to talk a little bit about management in the meantime, because I really don't want to scare kids um, and mm. make them feel like my house isn't safe. And there is a chance that my dog will be excited and will not stay on the bed when I go to open the door because it's exciting. I mean, it is exciting. And even if we've practiced, sometimes they go over threshold and they just can't cope. Yeah, absolutely. That. So one thing that I would love to suggest, and then I, I'd be eager to hear your suggestions as well. Now, this This goes to a conversation you and I had earlier before we started recording, which has to do with your flexibility about your house decor, (laughs) because there are some people who think, you know what, I'm not going to use a pen or I'm not going to use a baby gate because I don't like how it looks. However, we really have to prioritize the safety of our dog and of the humans that come into our care. And at the end of the day, really, safety is the priority, even if it looks a little bit not. Definitely. Okay, so let's assume that you are willing to, you know, make a sacrifice for the common good and you're willing to put up a pen or something. I have found that um, by putting a pen or a gate, depending on the layout of your house, totally up to you, um, in front of the door, right? So on the inside, like you open the door, right? So if you have a pen in front of your door, you can step through the pen and open your door. But the dog, let's say your dog breaks the stay and rushes up to the door. The dog can't, literally can't get to the kid coming inside because there's a pen that's like blocking in the front door. So it's kind of like you're entering a foyer or something. Um, And the child has a little nice buffer zone. And that to me is a really nice comforting signal, not only to the child, but to your dog, you know what? I really didn't want you to approach this human. So now I have a second where the kid is in my house, but is contained safely in this entryway with a, with a barrier. And then I can either put my dog back on the bed or I can put my dog in another space to allow this kid to actually get inside my house. What do you think about something like that or any other ideas? Um, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. That's so helpful, um, just in general, dog management, right? Um, you know, the other thing that you can use is like a house line, you know, like a, a, a small thin line that you can just easily pick up, right, and be able to maneuver your dog. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. You know, when I'm working with aggressive dogs, uh, one principle that uh, of safety is we always have two um basically like two fail safes right so for example you would have like a lead and a gate right or you would have two gates or you have a lead and a muzzle or whatever right but you're always trying to think about let's have two uh 
Yeah, exactly. Actually, you know, even in the zoo world, they do that, right? Like zoo enclosures have double doors, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the animal manages to get past the first door, right, you're not stuck chasing a monkey around the zoo, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although we do hear random stories about escaped tigers or bears, but obviously that was a, a management failure. So we, sure. I like that you talked about a double management, right? I think the training could be one option. A gate is a backup. Having the dog drag a, a very lightweight puppy leash that you could step on. Oh, I see you're getting out of the way. I don't have enough time to grab and I don't want to scare you. So I'm going to just stand on it, prevent you from approaching that person. I think those are all. Really Absolutely. Good. You know, one thing that some people really love doing with puppies is using the waist leashes right oh. they go around your waist mm -hmm. and you can you basically have the dog with you then as you're you know navigating these situations the only thing i would say with that especially with young dogs is you want to make sure they're getting sleep as well right like because puppies have to sleep a huge amount during the day so you want to make sure that your dog isn't just with you the entire time and not sleeping but it right. can be great for when you you know um when you're taking your dog somewhere and you just want to have them with you under control yeah and I would say, actually, there's one other thing about waist leashes that I think is important, which is that I don't like people to approach my dog um, when they're trapped. So the dog is on a leash that's attached to my body. If for some reason my dog finds that person offensive in any way, my dog can't really escape to get away to say, no, thanks, please don't pet me. So I am pretty careful about when a dog is tethered or attached to my body that that nobody can approach really. And that, you know, maybe they invite the dog to say hi to them as opposed to them approaching the dog. So consent is a big thing for me. So. Yeah. I, you know, I think that people need to like, honestly know their dogs, you know, like try to be like the word honest. I say that intentionally because like, I've definitely met people that like, you know, they're not accepting of their dog's personality, right? Mm. Like they have a shy dog, but they almost like try to convince their dog, their self, their dog is social, right? And it's like, we need to be honest about well, what's my dog's temperament? How are they likely to react to people? Are they going to be the dog that wants to greet everyone? Are they somewhere in the middle where they're like kind of indifferent or are they actually worried and, you know, don't want to meet? And, um, you know, so you, you have to consider these things in, in, just how you treat your dog right yeah you know, I, even if you yeah. and if you have a nervous dog and obviously you want to increase their confidence that doesn't necessarily mean forcing them into the situation you know um whilst you're you're working on this so right being yeah. honest i love that you said that i really do because i think that sometimes people see their dog's behavior as a reflection on themselves and that if my dog is shy or nervous that you've done something wrong. And that's not the case. Like, you know, we absolve you, Nick and I absolve you of, you know, I, I think that just being truly honest about what the dog is feeling in front of you and then respecting that, that's what makes you a good dog owner. Not, not, and it is hard though, because I've had two dogs that were not what I wished they would be. And you can grieve and be sad about that, I think, and then move forward with the dog that actually you've got. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that you have to be wary about is telling yourself a story 
right? Like the story you tell yourself, because, you know, I, I meet a lot of people or I've met people that, um, you know, they try to explain it in a way that, uh, you know, like <laughs> for one example, right? Like uh, I know a dog that does this charging behavior, right? So it gets nervous, it charges and it's kind of stomping its feet, trying to scare uh, other dogs away, right? And I remember the owner trying to explain it with, um, oh, well, he's always jumping over long grass. So I think he's kind of built up this habit of like hopping, right? <laughs> <laughs> like people tell, people tell themselves stories, you know, about why their dog does something or, you know, whatnot. And you, so you have to be careful, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see. That's a really funny one. I haven't heard that one before. I do hear a lot of people telling themselves stories of um, my dog was abused by a man. That's the most common oh, one that I hear, right? Yeah. yeah, sometimes that's true, Michelle, but also oh, yeah. you can have dogs that um, just haven't been socialized in the best way possible. Right. Like I remember a friend of mine had to come to the realization that that just wasn't true after so many triggers, right? It was like, well, I don't think he's been abused by a man that wore a hard hat and a vest <laughs> and had a traffic a wheelchair. Code. <laughs> like, you know, like there comes a point where it's like, okay, maybe he's just, <laughs> yeah. he's just had a hard life. Let's just do that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, oftentimes when we rescue a dog, we don't really know, you know, you, you don't know why the dog has a reaction to something. It could be just a lack of socialization. It could be that they've had a negative experience, but I've just met so many dogs that I know have had fantastic owners, right? They haven't been mistreated at all and have developed serious behavior issues to realize that, hey, it's not always the case that they've been abused. Right. Genetics plays a very big part as well and all kinds of things that you may have no control over. So, oh, yeah, that's such a great point, Michelle. You know, I had a client the other day that her spaniels just recently started resource guarding, you know, so acting aggressively when people try and take things from the dog. And we had this conversation about it and she feels incredibly guilty. Um, but also she knows the dog's brother and the brother does exactly the same thing. Oh, interesting. Right. So I, you know, I kind of had to have a conversation with her about the fact that, hey, this probably would have developed anyway, you know, it's because we're seeing it in the, the genetics of, of the dog siblings, um, you know, so you shouldn't feel like guilty about this. Right. Why don't you plug yourself? And then if you have any last gems of wisdom, you can throw those oh, in. Okay. Oh, in terms of gems of wisdom, you know, I think that, um, you know, for me, the biggest revelation when it came to dog training was engagement, right? Let me, you know, just qu quickly, um, you know, I was always training recalls, right? Like as a professional dog trainer, I was all trained dogs to come back. And what I realized quickly was that even when we have a dog with a good recall, it's no good if the dog comes back to us and instantly runs off again right? Like there's just no point, right? So actually what was really important was that we had dogs that wanted to stay with us, right? So for me, that's what engagement is about, taking your dog for a walk and actually having a dog that wants to be with you, right? Instead of being on the other side of the park and, you know, trying to play with other dogs constantly, not that there's anything wrong with playing with other dogs, um, but you want a little bit more attention, a little bit more focus and a dog that wants to hang out with you. 
And probably the easiest way to do that is to reward what you want, right? So if your dog is paying attention to you on a walk, reward it, right? Doesn't have to be food. Actually, I think games are even better if your dog um, is the sort of dog that likes to play various games, right? Tug of war, whatever it is, um, because games are interactive. Games actually um, give your dog a reason to, you know, play with you um, in a way that food doesn't. Not that I I'm against food. I'd say that I think when you're training a dog, food is the majority of the time is the reward because it's convenient and it allows you to get a lot of repetitions. So um, anyway, engagement, really, really important. And actually that kind of brings me into the plug because if you go to www.nickbenger.com, there is a, uh, you can download my guide to engagement there, which is just kind of a brief introduction to how you can get started uh, getting your dog engaged with you. And uh, also you can find my podcast there, which is Dog Talk with Nick Benger. And yeah, I, I think that about does it, Michelle. And you guys can even ask Nick a question and he can do it on his podcast, right? Because I learned about that from you. Oh, okay. Are you still doing those? <laughs> those are yeah, so I, cool. Yeah, those are awesome. Um, but you put the pressure on me now and I can't remember the link. It's I think it's speakpipe.com slash Nick Benger. I think. Because I, I, I am pretty sure. We can look it up. I'll put it in the no, show notes. No, I think you're right. I couldn't remember the website. So, yeah, you nailed it. I, no, I'm I think that's what it remember is. That. Well, I <laughs> remembered it because I was on a dog hike when I was listening to your podcast where you were taking listener questions. And I was totally captivated by the fact that, like, how did you get people, like, where did people go to leave that voice memo? Um, and then I've done it as well. So I also have a speakpipe.com slash pooch parenting. Um, but, but not very many people do it. I think, um, I don't know. You don't have to be afraid. It's not scary. It's just like leaving a voicemail, but it's less intimidating. So do it. And then Nick and I both, we can, on his podcast, he can answer your questions and on mine, I can answer yours as well. So I think yeah, that's I, cool. yeah. I mean, we love, I, we love getting questions and you know, having that opportunity for us is great. You're doing us a favor. We have an opportunity to create content and I can guarantee you, if you have the question someone else does as well. I, yes. Thank you for saying that. I think that's really true. It's really easy to feel alone. And just one last little note, I think social media is a blessing and a curse. I think it makes people feel really bad about themselves because people share things that are not entirely honest about their existence with their kids and dogs or you know, their, their dogs, my dog is amazing and perfect, or at least it looks that way. But in reality, you know, I see the, I see the dirt from your potted plant that's been dug out all over your living room floor. And I see the garbage <laughs> that's been shredded. And, and I know that there's issues. Um, not you, not your plant, your plant looks perfect. And so do mine. But um, you know, there's always something we all have an Achilles heel. Like as you were talking about engagement, I was thinking, oh my gosh, on our walks, all Pippin wants to do is sniff and he doesn't really want to pay that much attention to me. And I was thinking, okay, well, sniffing then could be the reward that he gets to do after we play. So I'm going to download your guide. Well, one thing I've realized from creating a lot of content, Michelle, is the stuff that does best is where I tell everyone how I messed up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so my best performing email I ever wrote was about um, this time where I was walking and it was just getting dark, right? And I had my dog off the lead 
And all of a sudden, he just started running like towards the hedgerow. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I blew my whistle. And my well, actually, I didn't in the beginning. I just said, hey, Pablo, come. Wouldn't listen. Blew my whistle, which is like my emergency whistle, which yeah. had, up to that point had never failed. Never failed to get the recall because of the way that we train it is very particular. But um, he didn't come back to the whistle. And I was like, wow, that's weird. Then I realized that there were some people over there and they had their dogs on lead and he was just running around just being a pest, right? So I walked over, I apologized, I grabbed him, I put him on lead. And that was the moment I realized that the people that he'd ran up to were my clients who I had been teaching recall. Oh, that is so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. (laughs) So... That for me, that was not not good, not good at all. <laughs> that really made me look totally incompetent. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that story. Yeah, I I was talking to somebody else, and and they said um, people love nothing more than a dog trainer with a naughty dog. So, yeah, I think definitely. that's actually kind of true as well. So. <laughs> all right, well, I I love that you and your naughty dogs were so helpful um, today for our podcast guests and um i will leave links to you and and information about where people can get your download as well as leave you any voice memos to ask you questions on the show notes page on the pooch parenting website thanks for taking the time to talk with me nick thanks so much okay bye if you haven't already please subscribe to the pooch parenting podcast on the podcast app of your choice For ongoing support, get on the waitlist for the Pooch Parenting Society, where I share training tips, activities, and coaching so families with dogs can live in harmony. By signing up at safekidsanddogs.com, you'll be the first to know when I open registration again for new members.